Hello and welcome to Shop Talk. On today's episode, we're going to be reading and discussing the first tablet of Gilgamesh as translated by David Ferry. This is epic poetry, so the way that we approach it is going to be different as well. The next thing to keep in mind is the fact that this is the oldest written story known to exist. It was actually written in clay tablets, and those tablets were 4,000 years old plus. Okay, so we're talking about a very, very old text. And then the last piece of information that I want you to have in mind as we work through this first tablet is the fact that this is the beginning of a hero's journey. We've talked a little bit about the hero's journey and the different steps along the way, and uh, we'll be keeping track of that as we work through this text as well. All right, so uh, without any further ado, here is the first tablet of Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh, a new rendering in English verse by David Ferry. Tablet 1, Part 1. The story of him who knew the most of all men know, who made the journey heartbroken, reconciled, who knew the way things were before the flood, the secret things, the mystery, who went to the end of the earth and over, who returned and wrote the story on a tablet of stone. He built Uruk. He built the keeping place of Anu and Ishtar. The outer wall shines in the sun like brightest copper. The inner wall is beyond the imagining of kings. Study the brickwork. Study the fortification. Climb the great ancient staircase to the terrace. Study how it is made. From the terrace, see the planted and fallow fields, the ponds and orchards. This is Uruk, the city of Gilgamesh, the wild ox, son of Lugalbanda, son of the lady wild cow Ninsun, Gilgamesh, the vanguard and the rearguard of the army, shadow of darkness over the enemy field, the web, the flood that rises to wash away the walls of alien cities, Gilgamesh, the strongest one of all, the perfect, the terror. It is he who opened passes through the mountains, and he who dug deep wells on the mountainsides, who measured the world and sought out Utnapishtim, beyond the world. It is he who restored the shrines, two-thirds a god, one-third a man, the king. Go to the temple of Anu and Ishtar. Open the copper chest with the iron locks. The tablet of lapis lazuli tells the story. Okay, so I think that this first section of Tablet 1 is really setting the scene uh, for the story. We learn about Uruk, how Gilgamesh uh, is king there, um, that he, you know, sort of takes credit for the building of that city. We learn that he's not just a human, but that he's two-thirds god and one-third man. Um, We even hear about some different characters, and I'm imagining that they may show up later and be of some significance. Great takes as always, Arch. Something that I want to point out is that epic poetry tends to begin with a preview that could be either like a prayer to the gods. A lot of the times, like I think back to the Iliad, where the narrator is praying that the god of poetry will uh, infest their body with this poetic awesomeness. In this case, the narrator begins by saying, we're about to read this great story about a hero, and you could find the story locked inside of a copper chest carved into a tablet of lapis lazuli. Introducing a story in that style is pretty specific to epic poetry, so take note of that. Part 2. There was no withstanding the aura or power of the wild ox Gilgamesh, neither the father's son nor the wife of the noble, neither the mother's daughter nor the warrior's bride was safe. The old men said, Is this the shepherd of the people? Is this the wise shepherd protector of the people? The gods of heaven listened to their complaint. Aruru is the maker of this king. 
Neither the father's son nor the wife of the noble is safe in Uruk. Neither the mother's daughter nor the warrior's bride is safe. The old men say, Is this the shepherd of the people? Is this the wise shepherd, protector of the people? There is no withstanding the desire of the wild ox. They call the goddess Aruru, saying to her, You made this man. Now create another. Create his double and let the two contend. Let stormy heart contend with stormy heart, that peace may come to Uruk once again. Aruru listened and heard and then created, out of earth clay and divine spittle, the double, the stormy-hearted other, Enkidu, the hairy-bodied wild man of the grasslands, powerful as Ninurta, the god of war, the hair of his head like the grain fields of the goddess, naked as Sumakan, the god of cattle. He feeds upon the grasslands with gazelles, visits the watering places with the creatures whose hearts delight as his delights in water. Okay, so Gilgamesh sounds like a jerk. It's like all he wants to do is fight every man he meets and seduce every woman. Not exactly characteristics I look for in a friend or leader. Yeah, so would I be correct to assume that I'm stuck reading about this jerk for the next couple weeks? I guess. The thing that gives me hope, though, is that we know that um, in all hero stories, the hero is flawed in some way. And so I guess we can sit back and hope uh, that he improves his behavior. Good. That is definitely a silver lining here, because this guy really is pretty deplorable. I mean, he was actually such a jerk that the people complained to the gods, and the gods went out there and created a rival for him. So Aruru scoops up a handful of dirt and spits in it. So we got a handful of dirt and some spit. And that becomes this this monstrous beast of a man. It's pretty interesting. And it reminds me of the Bible story of Adam and Eve, where, uh, where God sculpts Adam out of some sand and then he, he removes Adam's rib, I think believe to create Eve. So it, it just reminds me that even though a lot of the times mythology has these fantastic gods and goddesses performing superhuman feats, this is actually religion. <laughs> a handful of dirt and some spit. <laughs> that's what you that's what you picked up? That's all that you took away from I that? lost you after that, Mr. Okay. Doyle. Okay, well geesh. Holy cow, let's get back into this. Part three. One day, a hunter came to a watering place and saw Enkidu. He stood expressionless, astonished. Then with his silent dogs, he went home to his father's house, fear in his belly. His face was as one estranged from what he knows. He opened his mouth and said to his father, Father, I saw a hairy-bodied man today at the watering place, powerful as Ninurta, the god of war. He feeds upon the grasslands with gazelles. He visits the watering places with the beasts. He has unset my traps and filled my hunting pits. The creatures of the grasslands get away free. The wild man sets them free. Because of him, I am no longer a hunter. His father said, Go to Uruk, and there present yourself to Gilgamesh the king, who is the strongest of all, the perfect, the terror, the wise shepherd protector of the people. Tell him about the power of the wild man. Ask him to send a harlot back with you a temple prostitute to conquer him with her greater power. When he visits the watering place, let her show him her breasts, her beauty, for his wonder. He will lie with her in pleasure, and then the creatures, the gazelles with whom he feeds upon the grasslands, and the others with whom he visits the watering places, will flee from him who ranged the hills with them. So the hunter went to Gilgamesh and Uruk and told him about the power of the wild man and how he had unset the traps and filled the pits so that the creatures got away free. 
The Lord of Uruk said to the hunter then, When you return, a temple prostitute will go with you, and with her beauty conquer the wild man. He will lie with her, and then the gazelles with whom he feeds upon the grasslands, and the others with whom he visits the watering places will flee from him who ranged the hills with them. Okay, Mr. Doyle, let me see if I've got this straight. This hunter keeps finding his traps broken. He goes searching for some advice about what to do about it. And he is advised to go to Uruk and uh, present himself to Gilgamesh the king and come back to the woods and the water with a prostitute and then see if that helps solve the problem and and sort of humanizes this beast. Yeah, I think that you could consider this outside-the-box problem-solving. <laughs> but something that I, th- I think we should talk about is the fact that this is a woman who is a temple prostitute. At the time, prostitution was closely related to the church, I guess in this civilization at the very least. Um, So this is a holy woman who is considered doing God's work out there trying to tame this wild beast and turn him into, you know, a refined man. And what do you think this says about the femininity and the effect of the feminine on, on an animal sort of barbarian kind of man? Is it the effect of the woman that this barbarian can now be civilized? Is the argument that uncivilized behavior is masculine? Hmm. I don't know. I think we might have to wait and see. Yeah, maybe. All right, well, let's see how this goes. Part four. The harlot and the hunter traveled together, taking three days back to the watering place. For three more days they waited, and finally Enkidu came with the creatures that love the water, the gazelles and the others, so as to drink their fill. The temple prostitute looked at him, Enkidu, the hairy-bodied wild man of the grasslands, the hair of his head, like the grain fields of the goddess, naked as Sumakon, the god of cattle. That is Enkidu, Shamat. Show him your breasts. Show him your beauty. Spread out your cloak on the ground. Lie down on it. The wild man will look at you. Show him your body. The hairy-bodied man will come to you and lie down on you. And then, show him the things a woman knows how to do. The gazelles, and with them, all the other creatures, will flee from him who ranged the hills with them. And so the harlot, Shamat, showed him her breasts, showed him her body. The hairy-bodied man came over to her and lay down on her. And then she showed him the things a woman knows how to do. For seven days, Enkidu, in his wonder, lay with her in pleasure, and then, at last, went to seek out the company of the creatures whose hearts delight in feeding upon the grasslands, in visiting the watering places and ranging the hills. But seeing him, they fled. The creatures were gone, and everything was changed. His body that loved to range the hills was now unable to follow, but in the mind of the wild man, there was beginning a new understanding. Bewildered, He turned and sought out the company of the temple prostitute. He sat down beside her and looked into her face and listened to her. Enkidu, now you are beautiful as a god. Why do you seek the company of beasts? Come with me to the city, to Uruk, to the temple of Anu and the goddess Ishtar. Gilgamesh is the ruler, the strongest of all, the terror. The aura and power of his desire can be withstood by no one. Then Enkidu, whose heart was beginning to know about itself and longed for a companion, cried aloud, Take me to Uruk, the city of Gilgamesh, whose aura and power cannot be withstood. I will cry out in Uruk, challenging him. 
It is I, Enkidu, the strength of the wild man, born in the wilderness, cannot be withstood. The temple prostitute replied, Come then to Uruk, where the processions are, and music, and let us go together through the dancing to the palace hall where Gilgamesh presides, the favorite of the gods, the beautiful, strongest of all, the terror, the most desired. Look at his radiant face, the favorite of Shamash and Enlil, Ea and Anu. While you were grazing beast-like with gazelles, before your mind had any understanding, his mind, a gift to the gifted of the gods, had a dream of you before you knew him. In the early morning, Gilgamesh arose and told his mother his dream. I had a dream. A star fell from the heavens, a meteorite, and lay on the empty plain outside Uruk. The men and women came and wondered at it. I strove with it to lift it, but could not. I was drawn to it as if it was a woman. All-knowing Raimat Ninsan spoke to him. The lord of Uruk, Gilgamesh, his mother, all-knowing Raimat Ninsan, spoke and said, The star that fell from the heavens, the meteorite, that lay on the empty plain outside Uruk, the star you could not lift when you strove with it, the star you were drawn to as if drawn to a woman, is the strong companion, powerful as a star, the meteorite of the heavens, a gift of the gods. That you were drawn to it as if drawn to a woman means that this companion will not forsake you. He will protect and guard you with his life. This is the fortunate meaning of your dream. Then Gilgamesh, the lord of Uruk, said, May the dream as you interpret come to pass. The temple prostitute thus told the tale. All right, so we're at the end of the first tablet, and we're going to get to our takeaways in a second, but let's first talk about what happens here. Um, Shamat does lay with Inkadu. She does tame him over seven days, um, and and he is no longer as animal and beastly as he was when she met him. Right. It was a successful taming mission, it, it seems, right? Yes. And, and she says to him then, because he's so unlike a wild animal that, you know, you don't belong with the animals, you should come with me to the city of Uruk. In fact, uh, there's somebody there who I'd like you to meet. Right. And, and in addition to that, so he's getting that, he's getting that message from her. But also, after he lays with her, he then goes back to like hang out with his animal buddies and they reject him. They, they run away from him. He's too human for them. Right, right. So now... Shamat brings him this proposition, let's go back to Uruk, and there's this guy there who's a big, monstrous uh, ruler, and I think you two would either really hit it off, or he would provide you with like a, a, a good battle, a good fight. And meanwhile, at the same time, Gilgamesh's mom has this dream where she uh, imagines and dreams up a companion for her lonely, miserable son, Gilgamesh. Will you get better, Mr. Doyle? I hope so. I really do. We'll have to see. Yep. Um, so that brings us to our takeaway. Takeaway. So takeaway number one is that we get this background information on who Gilgamesh is. It really sets us up to understand who we're going to be spending all this time with over the next few weeks, right? And we find out that Gilgamesh is one-third man, two-thirds god, and he is the king of Uruk, which is a, a part of Mesopotamia. Uh, so we're talking like the very beginning, the dawn of civilization. Right. And speaking of civilization, our second takeaway is that this human connection creates um, c- civility, meaning a more civilized creature. So just by connecting with a woman, we're seeing that Inkadu has sort of been domesticated um, and become more human. Right. And for our third takeaway... 
when you think about a hero, this isn't the sort of guy that you picture. He's not kind to the people that follow him. He fights with the men and he tries to seduce the women. And just reading the first tablet, we think like this guy is miserable and and he is not heroic at all. And it just reminds me that all heroes need to be flawed. If you start a story with a hero being perfect, then there's no drama and there's nothing, there's no change for them in store. This is a guy who's going to change over the course of his hero's journey. And I think maybe takeaway three and a half is that we've really set the stage now for the story. We've got our main characters. We have a conflict. Uh, it's go time. Right, right. So, Arch. Yeah, Doyle. This is epic poetry. Epic. Did it scare you? Uh, like, like the concept of sitting down and reading epic poetry, I think, is a daunting one. Oh, totally. And, like, I'm not going to go home tonight and crack open... Uh, the Iliad or Beowulf and just sit down and, and read some epic poetry. Is this, I mean, what's, what is your feeling having gone, having read through? Well, I think, I think, first of all, it's not as hard as it seems. Like when we have that idea of epic poetry, if you actually dive in and give it a try, yeah. take it slowly, uh, you can figure it out. I also think it's really great to talk about it. Um, kind of talking through some of my ideas with you as we've read has really helped me understand uh, it better. Me too. I, I find that um, I find that the more that I talk about something that confuses me, the more I am able to untangle it. So I hope that these conversations that we have are helpful to the students um, as they try to make sense of this epic poem. It's also a little bit steamy, Doyle, and it's a little soap opera-ish, and so that has kept me intrigued. That's true. I mean, geez, couldn't you almost hear the... Uh... Skid-a-ma-rink-a-ink-a-doo, skid a ink a <laughs> A handful of dirt and some spit. <laughs>